0: Back to the episode.
1: Hey guys, before we get into today's interview with Jamie Sears, if you've been listening to the podcast the past couple of weeks here, you have heard Brandon Lucero. He's my good friend and my messaging and content mentor. You've heard him here on the show talking all about messaging and content. Well, his video series, he has a brand new video series called the content revolution and it's available to watch right now. This video series goes in depth into how to finally start creating engaging content in your business with unique messaging that creates demand, builds profitable connection with your audience, and really forces you to stand out because you stand for something. We all work in a Very crowded online space, right? Well, this video series is all about how you can stand out, how you can fix your broken content and finally be heard. There's nothing more frustrating than doing all the things that you think you're supposed to be doing when it comes to creating content, like how-to content, well... And then getting lost, right? It's so frustrating and you feel like you're not being heard. Well, this video series really fixes all that. He's also going to share how successful entrepreneurs are crafting content that really explodes their business. So to register for this free video series, go check it out. RickMulready.com forward slash 4X. The number 4, the letter X. RickMulready.com forward slash 4X. All right, let's jump into today's episode with Jamie Sears. Welcome to the Art of Online Business Podcast. My name is Rick Mulready, and I'm an online business coach, Facebook and Instagram ads expert, lifestyle entrepreneur, and I'm a total coffee snob as well. Each week, you're going to learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips that take the guesswork out of growing and scaling a profitable online business so that you can truly become an entrepreneur with impact. This podcast is your secret weapon for fast-tracking the growth of your online business. Let's do this. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to the show. Super appreciate you coming and hanging out with me today. I'm your host, Rick Mulready, and I'm recording this episode, or this intro and outro anyway, a little bit late in the game. recording this on Monday, February 17th. It's President's Day here in the States, and... Our new neighborhood is very, it's very neighborhoody. <laughs> we live in suburbia now. It's actually awesome. My wife and I thought that we would never move to the suburbs, but we love it. It's all families here. And I was um, telling my good buddy, Pat Flynn, who I'm neighbors with now, basically he lives, lives down the street. I was like, dude, I feel like this is the Truman Show because there are people that like drive golf carts around and stuff. It's pretty surreal. But anyway, there's amazing schools in this neighborhood. And that's really why so many families are here because of the schools. And they're off this week on vacation in February. They call it like ski week here in in Southern California because everybody goes to the mountains. Anyway, I was taking Maya out for a walk this morning. And (laughs) I texted Pat afterwards. I was like, dude, when there's no school in session, it's like the zombie apocalypse. There is no one on the streets. Like my windows are open and it's so nice to hear like, Bird chirping. It's so quiet outside. Unlike where we used to live, we, lived, we used to live basically downtown San Diego and it was so loud there. Anyway, we're loving our new house, our new neighborhood. Everything is so good. So anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about today's episode, shall we? You are going to hear from my Accelerator Mastermind student and brilliant entrepreneur, Jamie Sears. Jamie creates resources, training, and courses for teachers and also teacher entrepreneurs. And she's super successful in her business. And today she has built a great team and she really only works about 20 hours per week herself, right? Her business partner is her husband, Scott. And I asked Jamie to come on the show today to share her story about how she got to where she is today and really share and dive into the lessons that she's learned along the way. I really think that you're going to get a lot out of this talk with Jamie. So let's go hang out with Jamie Sears. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
2: Hey, Rick. I'm excited to be here. I'm doing really good.
1: We just had a, uh, a strategy call yesterday. <laughs> we jumped on today. We said we both forgot that we were talking again this week for the podcast, and, but I can never get enough conversation with you because always, I mean, I love the conversations. And so for those people who are listening right now who do not know who Jamie Sears is, tell people who you are, what do you do right now? And I want to kind of, I want, I definitely want to get into your evolution that got you to the, where you are right now, but let people know who you are and and what you do right now.
2: Awesome. So I help teachers in grades two through five to deliver more engaging and effective lessons in the classroom without feeling overwhelmed and stressed. And the biggest way that I do this is by creating lessons and resources for them to use with their students. Mm -hmm. And I sell these resources as PDF documents, mostly on a Marketplace website. And then I also have created professional development online courses for teachers, again, just to make teaching easier for them.
1: So I want to kind of, I want, I do want to get into that difference between creating resources for the marketplace versus creating your own courses and stuff like that. Because I think that's a really cool evolution of the business that you've done. And you've been really successful in creating, well, in in the overall business. I mean, you've done been really, I kind of look at you as like, the godmother of like (laughs) creating resources for the teacher world because everybody knows who you are and you're so humble and you just, you just go about things the right way. And so many people look up to you. So I know that you don't take compliments very easily, but I want to like publicly acknowledge you right now for the job that you've done and also mentoring so many other entrepreneurs and, and teachers and helping teachers, that whole world. So I will thank you for everyone out there right now.
2: <laughs> thank you, Rick. You're
1: making me blush, though. I know. We're on video <laughs> right now, guys. And she's definitely <laughs> blushing right now. So I want to talk about sort of how you got to where you are right now because it wasn't always, you know, you did this as a hobby for a little while. And like so many entrepreneurs, you transitioned from, you know, that hobby to, holy cow, this is an actual business. So, take us back to when it was a hobby, when you decided to do it as a hobby, if you will. And then like, holy cow, like I'm actually going to do this and make money from it.
2: Yeah. And that's exactly how it was too. It was like, it was a hobby. And then one day it's like, holy cow, I (laughs) actually have a business. How'd that happen? But I started this in um, January of 2013. I was actually a first year teacher. It was like my third career. Uh, I did not have a lot of experience. I was in this classroom feeling very overwhelmed mm-hmm. and I needed resources for my students. My school didn't provide a lot of curriculum as I've come to learn. Most schools don't. I thought they did. They don't. And I just didn't know what to do with my kids all day, every day. I wanted to be an amazing teacher, but I didn't have the material. So I started creating them. I actually learned how to create things because I used to do digital scrapbooking for my kids way back in the day. And so I taught myself how to do digital scrapbooking. And I thought, hey, I'll use those skills and I'll create some fun activities for my students. And then one of my coworkers was like, I would totally pay you for that activity. I started thinking and I was like, if I put this up for sale and I sold just a couple of them, then I could buy more complex activities for my students that I didn't know how to create. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was the beginning. I thought I just want to make 10 or $20 a month because then I could buy some activities for my students. I had no plans of starting like a huge business. I had no like business goals other than like 10 to $20 a month. I didn't even, I didn't even think I had a business. I came up with a name, the not so wimpy teacher. My students helped me actually to come up with that name. They're really into that book. Um, the wimpy kid series. Yeah, and so they came yeah. up with that name for me and I went with it. I didn't know it was going to be living with me for years to come. <laughs> I would make all kinds of things at the time, like whatever my students needed that I could figure out how to make, I would make. So maybe I would make something for math, maybe something for reading, maybe something for a science unit. I was all over the place and everything I created was 2 to $3 is what I was selling it for. I wasn't trying to replace my income. I had no aspirations of that. It was never even in my mind. I just was creating what my students needed. And if I made 10 bucks, great. I was not making any investment in my business. I didn't spend money. My husband talked to me into spending $10 on clip art. And I was really stressed about this. Like it seemed a little bit too much. It's to been $10. Even,
1: even back in 2013, you were stressed about <laughs> spending money on your business. Yes. And I noticed a theme seven years later.
2: <laughs> hey, <laughs> but,
1: gotta be careful. <laughs> but you were So you were creating resources for yourself and then you were selling them. Were you selling them to just your, you said your other colleagues. Is that all it was? You were like, I just want to make... 20 bucks, an extra 20 bucks a month so I can buy more resources for myself. No, I would literally give them to my colleagues. I, yeah. hadn't, okay.
2: I hadn't even figured out that I ought to be selling them to other people. But I did put them up on a marketplace that was, yep. becoming, it was becoming really popular. I had actually seen it on the news before I ever became a teacher and I had bought some things for my kids to use at home. Okay. And so I thought, all right, I'll just put it up there there's nothing to lose. I already made it. So I just yeah. put it up there. And if someone buys it, great. No one buys mm-hmm. it. Oh, well, I still use it in my classroom. Right. No big right. deal.
1: Now, before I go, we go forward here, I do want to make sure that we point out, you have an entrepreneurial background. Beanie babies <laughs> were in your past prior to this. And so you have an entrepreneurial spirit. Talk to us about that.
2: I knew you were going to bring this up. Yeah, I did have a, a little experience with Beanie Babies. I was in high school, it was in the 90s, and Beanie Babies that little tie toy, it was like a yeah. stuffed animal. It got really popular and my dad, he is an entrepreneur too. He has the entrepreneur spirit. It's got to be where I got it from, but he heard that people were paying a lot of money for these things and so we started buying them. Like my job was to call all the little gift shops in town. Well, really within like a 30 minute radius, mm-hmm. we call hotel gift shops, hospital gift shops, Cracker Barrel, old country store. We'd see if they got a shipment in that day. And if they did, we'd go rushing over to buy as many Beanie Babies as we could. We would put them up on eBay and then I would take them to the post office to ship them out. We were buying like $5 Beanie Babies and selling them for 40, 60, some of them even hundred dollars. Really? Holy cow. Yeah. Holy so cow. that was my first business.
1: Foray into the business world, right? <laughs> okay. So, okay. So going back to, I love that story. So going back to, and it also provides great context for what we're talking about here. So, cause I do not come from any kind of entrepreneurial background, very blue collar. Like, you know, I'm the, what is um, Seth? I'm the purple cow of the family, right? Like I, I do not do things by the norm, if you will. And so I love this. And so you're creating resources, you're putting them up on the marketplace. You're like, hey, if somebody buys it, great. If not, hey, I'm just, I'm using them for myself anyway. How does it evolve from there?
2: I started putting them up in January of 2013 with that goal of just Mm -hmm. 10 to $20. And it was July of 2013. My family was driving to San Diego. We were going to take the kids to SeaWorld. I will never forget looking at, my app and just, I'm just gonna see how much money I'm making today. Mm-hmm. And I made $50 that day. This was only six months into the so-called business. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know I had a business maybe until about that day. I was like, I just made $50. And my husband was, you know, kind of blown away. I, but I told him, I said, I'm going to make $50 every day from now on. And I really, in my head, that sounded like a lot, like, that's a big old Jamie. How are you ever going to do that? I did the calculating. That's only like 18 grand a year. So yeah. it wasn't going to be enough to quit my job or anything, but now I saw potential. Like before I just was thinking of it as something that would help my students. But now I was like, I could actually help my family with these resources. And I got serious and started spending all my time creating these resources. I was still all over the place. I didn't know how to create a business but i decided the more resources i create the more money i will make and so mm-hmm. i got to work and i would work spring break summer break nights weekends i sat by the pool with my computer while my kids would play i was always creating something on my computer
1: even if you weren't going to use it yourself or yeah you I... everything at that point
2: a lot of it in my classroom, but it got to the point where I had more resources than I had the ability or the time to use in my classroom. So it did get to be more than I could use. And I even started experimenting with other grade levels and stuff. So within the first year, I started creating too much for me to use with my students.
1: Did you ever, at what point did you hone in on a specific topic to be teaching? Because you mentioned that you're like kind of all over the place for a little while. And it's a great, you know, it's a great parallel to you know, serving lots of different niches and talking about lots of different types of content and all that stuff. At what point did you kind of start to narrow in?
2: It was a long time. It was a really <laughs> long time. I fought it really hard. Um, well, I want to go back to really the first lesson I learned. I was still all over the place at this mm-hmm. time. I'm gonna be real. I was still creating all kinds of things, whatever I thought I could create. But in 2016, I think I... I hit my first lesson as an entrepreneur was I started hitting that boost button on my Facebook posts. Mm -hmm. And I would like start with like a dollar a day. And then I got really crazy and I was like $5 a day. And so there's, it's probably no shock to you, but I didn't see any return on the dollar a day.
1: What kind of post was it?
2: It would be a post directly to my resource.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: You know, it was only like a $2 yep. resource. Sure. And so I was spending a dollar a day on it. I was feeling pretty crazy. I had no idea what it was doing. They just put that button there. And so you're like, well, let me yeah. try that. Right. Yeah. I didn't see any return on that. We binge listened to everything you created, Rick, in April <laughs> of 2017. Cause 2016 was the year of the boost in April yeah. of 2017. Uh, My husband actually heard you talk at social media marketing world in March and he came home, he quit his job. So I'm pretty sure you're responsible (laughs) for that. And (laughs) he binge listened to do everything that he could find from you about Facebook ads because Mm -hmm. he was certain that he could fix my boosting problem and that's what he did. So we were still all over the place, but we started honing in on Facebook ads and let's see, he started off by talking me into doing a hundred dollar ad over five days, which was huge going from like one to $5 yeah, a day sure. to a hundred dollars. And he wanted to just prove to me that there would be a return because I had yeah. never seen a return before. And so that hundred dollars, we got a 300% return on it. So we sending paid hundred dollars.
1: Sending directly to the resource.
2: Directly to the resource, yeah, yeah. so we paid a hundred dollars and we saw three hundred dollars in revenue from that hundred dollars. And so then he pushed me, he was like, "Well, wouldn't wouldn't right. you like more?" Yeah. And before long, he's talking me into how about we just do a hundred dollars for a day? Let's see what happens. Yeah. And this is the same person who I was petrified of clip art for ten dollars a couple yeah, years exactly. ago. But yep. he slowly talked me into it, and we always see 200 to 300% return on our ads to resources. Mm-hmm. And since that, since April, 2017, we don't, we have not gone back. We've only gotten crazier. So my lesson, this was my first lesson was that paid advertising is not as scary as we thought, as long as you actually learn how to do it correctly. Yeah. And correctly is not the boost button apparently. (laughs) So now we spend 10 to 15% of our revenue on Facebook ads. Yeah. And my mentality has gone from like, I can't afford to do paid ads to we can't afford not to do paid ads. It's the first lesson I learned about going from just being a hobby to I'm going to take this seriously. It's going to be a business. We're gonna have to invest in some advertising.
1: Yeah. And for most people, and I know like, and it's harder for you. I, I know, I know it is harder for you. And I know that Scott, your husband pushes you in this area is like, well, a big regret we have oftentimes is like, Oh, I didn't spend enough. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm getting this kind of ROI like, Oh shoot. I didn't. I, I wish I spent more money on this, but that's a yeah. hard mindset to wrap our heads, or, you know, wrap our head around. And a lot of people have that, a lot of successful entrepreneurs have that like, Oh man, I just wish I, my biggest regret on whatever on this project or this launch or whatever it is like, Oh, I wish I spent more on the ads. So you're starting to see that ROI you're, you're spending more and more as time goes on 2017. Like Mm -hmm. at what point do you start to be like, all right, I need to grow my, you know, the business is growing here. You have kids, you have a family. What's going Mm -hmm. on in the business. What's going on in your head at this point too?
2: Well, In June of 2017, we'd just gotten started on these ads. My husband switches us from MailChimp to ConvertKit. Mm -hmm. And I was actually paying a fair amount on MailChimp because I had 6,000 email subscribers. They came because of my website. There was like a button that said, join my newsletter. I was not intentionally growing my list. I was not right. I was not sending anything to them. There was just like 6,000 people I was just paying for. And he switches me to ConvertKit. And I got, at that point, I was like, well, if I'm going to pay for this, I'm going to make it work. And I've kind of learned that about me, that if I invest in something, I am so driven to make it work. So sometimes just the investing in my business is actually what's driven me. But I realized that summer, I'm like, you know what? I am going to make email marketing work. People say, I kept telling my husband, I'm like, people keep saying all this good stuff about email marketing and I don't understand why they keep talking about it because I'm not making any money on emails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that occasional email I send to those 6,000 people who have no idea who I am, it's not, there's no return on that. <laughs> so I will never forget, my husband leaves to go get a haircut, or run some errands and I'm sitting there and I just have this idea. I'm like, I am going to create this sequence of emails. This is the first time I've ever created a sequence, by the way. It was pretty fancy. I'm going to create a sequence of emails. I'm going to call it a mini course. And it's going to be all about teaching writing. This is really where I started to be I started to get a niche, even though I didn't, I don't think I chose the niche for myself. I think my audience chose it for me. They were struggling with how to teach writing. And I had a few tips and I had a resource. And so I thought I'll send them five emails. I'll call it a mini course. Each email had like a free printable and, and some tips. And I wrote the whole thing while he was out running errands. He came back. I said, guess what? I made a course. I never realize that's, that's, not, that's, a, that's exactly what ahead. I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I get serious about something.
1: I really get serious. You jam on it. it. Yes.
2: So this was actually my first targeted lead magnet. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. So it was five emails. And then after the fifth email, they would get a pitch for a resource. And this was my most expensive resource. It was a $64 resource bundle that took me a year to create. Cool thing was this resource wasn't even completely done yet. I wasn't all the way finished with it. And I pitched it. I was selling them a growing bundle. I said, here, part of it's done pay for it. And I swear you'll get the rest later. And I mean, that's what th- my pitch was.
1: You're upfront. You're up front about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I had 6,000 subscribers when I started at the beginning of the summer and I had 36,000 by the end of the summer, we added 30,000 people. And those first two months, those emails, those five emails generated $21,000 in sales on that writing unit that I hadn't finished yet. So I created $21,000 on a resource that was incomplete yeah. just with five emails. And I was like, oh, what else could I do? That just gets your head spinning. Like if those five emails can do that, what can I do next? So my lesson there, it was just yeah. like growing your email list is a must. And, yeah. and the best way to do that is something targeted, a really targeted lead magnet.
1: Yeah. And I don't think we've ever talked about this, but I don't see this as an issue with, with you It is for me, I know. I I mean, I'm much better than I was years ago. But most people would not carry through with what you just did because the resource that you were selling wasn't done. They'd be like, oh, I have to complete this before I get this email series out. You were like, no, screw that. I'm going to get this out there. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to let them know like, hey, this is not done yet, but I'll add to it. Does that perfectionism ever get in the way of anything?
2: Absolutely. It was actually really hard. I don't do those types of growing bundles often because I don't mm-hmm. like to promise someone something before it's created, but I had put out part of it already and I'd already gotten good feedback on it. So I think I was going off that good feedback and I didn't think a lot about it. It was like I was in this mode of like, how will I make convert kit worth it? And yeah. so I came up with this idea and I pushed go before I really had too much time to second guess myself. Mm-hmm. Because if I did give myself too much time to think about it, I, I might've talked to myself out of that. Yeah. And that lead magnet, it still exists. We don't advertise it very much, but people still find it on my website. It's still bringing people into my business. And it was the beginning of something big. This was the first time I started talking to them about teaching writing, which ends up becoming really what I'm about now. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was that lead magnet and the interest in that writing unit that sent me on this path. And 2018 became all about content for me.
1: Mm. But because you saw the, you saw the opportunity that was there. You're like, holy cow. I just wrote this five email series, made an offer, a $64 offer at the end of it while my husband was out running errands for a couple <laughs> hours. And I did $21,000 boom, right off the bat with my email list. It's like, all right, what else can I do? And yeah, so it wh- gave me
2: some confidence.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I
2: yeah, thought I have something so- to teach and they want it. So I was like, I got to start working on this content.
1: Was that the point where you were like, all right, I'm really going to not focus on the other topics and hone in on the writing portion?
2: I definitely did spend the majority of my creation time now on the writing portion because Mm -hmm. it quickly became my biggest source of revenue. And so I realized that I should spend more time on it. Also, these resources took a long time. Once I created the $164 bundle, I started on two more. And now we're up to four of those bundles for different grade levels. So it took so long that I ended up spending the next two years doing nearly nothing but writing.
1: Yeah. Now you said that 2018 was sort of your year of content. What does that mean? And what did that look like for you?
2: So I actually am a blogger from way back. I blogged before blogging was cool. I had a stamping blog where I would show pictures of my hand stamped cards. This was wait, another business wait a of minute.
1: mine. Wait a minute. This is the first I'm hearing about this. You had a stamping blog? Wait, mm-hmm. like rubber yeah.
2: stamping? Yeah. I was the stamping mommy of four.
1: <laughs> what, is, what, is it, what is a blog about rubber stamping? It's
2: really popular, actually. I would make a card and take a picture of it. I put it up there and then I would share the step-by-step directions of how I created the card and what ingredients I used to create the card. And then people would buy stamps from me.
1: Guys, you can create a blog and content around anything. People people will want it. That's amazing.
2: (laughs) I did start a teaching blog as soon as I started the Not So Wimpy Teacher. But Mm -hmm. it was one of those things I think that most people in this time period did. Like You just randomly posted on it. And it was not good for SEO. Like my topic would be like what I did in the classroom this week. So yeah. only people who subscribe to your blog on blog loving would ever really see it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I had been doing for years. Just randomly when I felt like it, I put a blog up. But I realized in 2018 that growing my email list really helped. So the best way I could think of to get more people to sign up for my lead magnet was mm-hmm. get more people to my website. And so I, my way to do that was I'll create a whole bunch of content because up till now I was sharing other people's content a lot because I didn't have mm. my own. Yeah. So now I thought if I create a whole bunch of content and a whole bunch of pins and a whole bunch of Facebook posts for that content, now I'd have all these people coming to my website and then they'd see my lead magnet and they'd want to join my email list. And this was my big plan. And so I made the goal of 2018 that I was going to publish a blog post every week of the year which is kind of a big goal. Yeah. And looking back, I didn't make good decisions. Like I didn't batch the blog posts. So I was always writing, yeah. always. In yeah. fact, during the summer, I decided to put out two posts a day because my audience had so much time to read. I was like, I'll do two posts a day. <laughs> we would be traveling, I would be blogging. Everywhere we went, everything we did, I was blogging. So I definitely didn't do it the right way, but it worked. So in 2017, I had 900,000 views on my website, but in 2018, I had 2.2 million views and my revenue doubled that year. And my email list more than doubled. I, I added 37,000 wow. new leads to my list that year. So all organic that's a lesson. Well, I was doing Facebook ads, but okay. most of my ads were going to my products. So yeah. the majority of my views to my website yeah. were organic. And so my lesson was that content is a must. You have to show up, whether it's your blog, your podcast, your video, you've got to show yeah. up every week. And so now I still publish content every single week. I'm just better about batching it and not letting it take over my life and not feeling like I have to do it all myself, but I'm still putting out content every single week. And I think that's key. I think that anyone who's going from hobby to Mm -hmm. CEO has got to be putting out content every week.
1: I want to come back to that because you and I've talked a lot about that as far as like a process around that. And you're really good about batching and stuff like that. I want to come back to that in just a second. You said that your revenue doubled When you doubled down, if you will, on well, more than double down on the content, was that all resources in the marketplace, or was this any of your own resources at this point that you were creating?
2: All of this up to this point was just the resources in the marketplace. I would write blog posts that help teachers to use my resources and Mm. I called them soft sell blog posts, but they would help teachers to understand how it could be used multiple ways to prepare it, store it, how to get students more excited, what to do when the students don't understand it. I would take questions my audience had had about my resources and turn it into a blog post. And I worried I would run out of content, but here we are like three years later. And my team even said, we keep thinking you're going to run out of ideas, but I have tons and tons of ideas because the more you write it's like every blog post I write leads to four or five new ideas. Oh, I should, I should go deeper into that. I should cover that again. I should cover that in a different way. And so I haven't run out of ideas yet.
1: How do you track those ideas that come up as you're writing a blog post?
2: Sometimes. Just a million notes on my phone, Post-its, my planner, it's everywhere. <laughs> but I'm getting better. I created yeah. a board in Monday that says blog topic ideas and I'll write down the topic there yeah. more now than I used to. And it is really helpful yeah. uh, when I'm coming up with my content calendar to go to that. I don't always know what it means later, but I'm getting better at getting organized, but I'm a really creative person. And sometimes when a creative idea comes to you, like I actually have a notepad in my shower. It's a waterproof
1: notepad. I've heard it. Somebody told me about that last year and I still don't have one, but I need to get one. Yeah.
2: It's like called Aqua Notes and it's like a pencil and a notepad. And um, sometimes really great ideas come to me in the shower. I write them down. Yeah. They're everywhere.
1: At what point did you you know, you're like, all right, I need to get out of the blog writing hamster wheel and always writing. Number one, what was the catalyst to like, right, I, need to, I need to find a better way to do this? Because you're obviously seeing the, the fruits of your efforts here. However, you're writing all the time and it's not sustainable. So at what point, like what happened to you be, you know, like, all right, I need to start batching this because you're really good at batching now.
2: I tried a lot of different batching. Actually, I would get really into it and then I would get off the wheel a little bit. Like I had this idea that I would spend one Monday batching all the drafts and then the next Monday I would batch all the images and the next Monday I would edit and add links and that would work for a while, but then you'd go on a vacation or something and yeah. you'd miss a week. And and if I missed a week, then the next week I was like, whoa, oh, why bother? I'm already a mm. week behind. So okay. I actually went through a lot of different batching ideas. The one I'm liking most right now and is most successful for me right now is that I take one week a month to batch my content. And I have learned that the only way, cause now I've added a podcast. Yeah. The only way that I can get all my blog posts and my podcasts and my emails written is if I recycle the content. And so my blog post mm-hmm. for the week, my email for the week and my podcast for the week are all on the same topic. People want to hear it in different ways. And yeah, so totally. it's okay to have multiple and, but it can all be the same topic. And so I spend Tuesday and Wednesday writing my blog posts for the month. Then I'll spend Thursday recording the podcast, Friday, writing the email, and then I'm done for the month, which gives me the rest of the month to work on the other things in my business because I've added things to my business. Now I'm not just selling PDFs anymore. I've added to to my business. And so this gives me the time to do that other work. That's really important in my business now.
1: So, I want to get to that too, but let's talk about that podcast. So, cause you now have two podcasts. So let's talk about the first podcast. At what point did you, you're like, Hey, I need to start a podcast. I'm blogging all the time. Let's add a podcast to the mix.
2: I didn't add a podcast until March of 2019. So it's not even a year old. Mm-hmm. I noticed how podcasts were just taking off and a lot of teachers in my Facebook groups were asking for podcast recommendations. And I was seeing this and I was like, wow, I want them to be recommending me, but I don't have a podcast. So they're not. My audience was talking about how they love to listen to it on their way to work. These are really Mm -hmm. busy people. They Mm -hmm. are at work from 7am till 6pm. They're usually raising a family and then they still have to grade and lesson plan after the kids go to bed. So these aren't people that always have time to read my blog. So I talked myself into creating a podcast And at first I was doing all different content, my podcast and my blog, and that was so overwhelming to me because I had to come up with two different topics, prepare two different topics and publish two different topics. But now that I've made it a little more streamlined, what we talk about on the blog, we also talk about on the podcast. It just, there's different people. Some people want to be able to scroll through my blog, look at the bullet points. Other people want to listen to it on their way to work. And now I think that I'm providing, you know, something all my audience can use to learn from me.
1: And this podcast is for teachers.
2: This podcast is for teachers. It's called the Not So Wimpy Teacher Podcast.
1: And you're starting a new podcast. Well, when this episode comes out, your new podcast will be out. So what's that all about? And I want to kind of dive into this whole area of your business. And then we're going to jump back to the courses (laughs) because there's a lot of things I want to cover with you, but I think this is a good segue into starting, starting your second podcast on top of everything else that you're doing.
2: Yeah, my second podcast is called The Not So Wimpy Entrepreneur. And this podcast is for online entrepreneurs who like me are trying to take that hobby and grow it into something insanely profitable. Yeah. I just wanted to share with other entrepreneurs, sometimes teacher entrepreneurs, I just wanted to share with them some of the lessons I learned along the way because sometimes I felt like I was learning these lessons all by myself. And I thought by sharing them with others, it would make them see that they're going through all of the normal, natural feelings and struggles that all the successful entrepreneurs did go through. And they're just comparing their front stage to someone else's. And I just thought I could help you out here. Let me share all my struggles and what I've learned from it mm-hmm. with you. So that's where yeah. it came from. And so now I have an extra podcast to batch.
1: You love talking about this topic. But I also think too, that I've seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, like a little, I don't know if apprehension's the right word, just because it's like you're starting, it's like a new sort of side of the business. And you're like, you've been so successful on the, on the teacher side. And this is something in, in that's been going on for a while. It's like, okay, cool. now I'm going to like build out this side of the business in addition to what I'm doing. So it's like, all right, you're kind of, you're not starting from scratch by any means. However, you are starting new, if you will, quote unquote, over on this side of the business. What's that been like for you?
2: Yeah, I definitely would say I have some apprehension, but I think it's good apprehension that slowed me down and really think about what I want, what my goals are, and be intentional about that. The old me, the one who wrote the email course in a morning, would have just jumped and done it without thinking it through. Yeah. But because I've learned to be a lot more intentional with my time, I know that I have finite amount of time and I have a family and I want to go back to having hobbies like rubber stamping. Mm-hmm. So I really had to make sure I wanted to sit on the idea a while and make sure that it like was still really important to me. And it was like I almost jumped at something last year and I had to pull myself back because I realized that was going to take too much time, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. I, st- I just wanted to do it so bad. So I just had to take that idea and I had to find a way that it could still fit into the life that I want to have as an entrepreneur, as a mom, as a wife. So I think I've come up with that perfect mix of being really helpful to other entrepreneurs, but not giving my entire work time away because I got a big business here to run too.
1: Yeah. All right. I want to kind of tease that a little bit and table that for a second because that's kind of, I want to talk about that because that's so important and just such a big theme of what I talk about and teach. And it's like building your business around your life and not the other way around and setting your priorities and your vision and then building it from there before we talk about that though, now I want to go back to like, you add, you started adding your own courses into the business. You know, what prompted you to do that? And at what time period did you start to do that?
2: (laughs) It's just one of my crazy ideas. Again, I'm, I'm always full of them. I actually need people in my life that tell me like, chill out. You can't do all this. And that's luckily, that's what Scott's there is about. Yep. so it was actually January of 2019. And I had no plan to make a course by the way. It hadn't actually crossed my mind until Amy Porterfield's launching her digital course Academy. And I'm like, yep. maybe I should have a course. And, you know, usually if I bring up these big ideas with Scott or my team, they're usually like, are you sure? But on this one, everyone's like, yeah, do it. And so it was just neat because I immediately had so much support. Like everyone wanted me to do it. Now, mind you, I had a two month old and four yeah. other kids. So it, Was it the best timing? Maybe not, but (laughs) I'm not one to wait around for the best time to come. So I took the course and I was really committed to getting my course out into the world. And I knew it had to be about teaching writing. I mean, my audience told me that's what they wanted. They told me when they signed up for that lead magnet two years ago, they told me when they showed up to Facebook lives, they were asking questions, they were buying that bundle. So I knew I've got to teach them how to teach writing. That's what I have to do. Mind you, teaching writing wasn't my favorite thing to do ever. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of crazy that I've become this person who helps teachers to be successful writing teachers, but I wish someone had come along and done this for me. So it was really hard to build a course. Anyone who's going to tell you that building a successful online course is not hard is lying to you. It is so hard. Like you're doing all this research because you mm-hmm. want to get it right. And you're talking to your customers and you got to figure out what your course is going to look like. And I'm creating scripts. I was on vacation on the beach writing scripts. I had to create slide decks. I had to record, it was 30 videos, and then I had to have them edited, and we had to make this website. We had to learn how to use this website software. We didn't know anything about websites, and we we're doing it on our own because we didn't know better. And then you gotta launch it. I had never done a webinar before, and so I had to create a web- webinar slide deck and deliver this webinar. people were mean to me on my webinar and i'm not used to that and i i like (laughs) didn't know how to react to that because i tried to sell them something and they're not used to being sold to and they were just like pushed back and then i had to actually support these teachers through eight week course too which sometimes you're in the middle of creating the course you forget that there will also be that commitment to it it was really really hard but i launched the course in june 2019 it took me six months to build uh, the payoff was huge. My first launch was 280,000 in sales. And the thing is, I have learned like that was really hard, but we're going to launch again in 2020. Mm-hmm. I know that it will be easier. Like I've already done so much of the hard work. It's going to be easier now. And I know the payoff will be bigger.
1: Yeah.
2: And I've learned a big lesson about this. It's hard to see an out in an industry if you are always doing the easy stuff. There's lots of people doing the Mm. easy stuff. If it's easy, anyone can do it. But when you do the hard stuff, you stand out. Now you're creating something they couldn't create for themselves. They don't have the time or the expertise to create for themselves. That's when you're going to make the big bucks. Yeah. And I actually remember someone telling me this years ago, she said, if it's not a pain in the arse, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and in 2019 it was kind of a pain in the arse. And the payback was huge. And we're really excited about the course because it's it's ours. It's not on a marketplace. Yeah. We get to, to decide everything. And we can even put pixels on our checkout page. We've never been able to do that before <laughs> we got to do all kinds of new and fun things. And now that course is like a baby that we've given birth to. And it's really exciting. And now I'm not just creating PDFs, but I'm creating professional development so and relationships. You,
1: yeah. And, and, and you create, like, you did this from scratch. You just went, you just went through all the different things that you did in order to launch this. And a lot of people would be like, well, number one, a lot of people will be like, you know what? It's too much work. I'm not going to do it. Or they get into it and they're like, holy cow, this is so much work. And it's going to take them a year to do it. You know, you went through, you know, six months, like everything, not just the course, but like webinar and plan to launch and even launch and all that stuff like that. You also strategically time the launch for teachers because that's smart business, right? Mm-hmm. So what were some of the lessons there? other lessons there that you learned during that process, because I mean, one big thing that, you know, people do need to understand is that you did have an audience at this point. They were asking you for this type of content. So you knew they're like, all right, cool. I create this. They're going to come, which a lot of people are the opposite. They're like, Ooh, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if people are going to, you know, they spent all this time creating a course and they're like, it's crickets. And I'm like, well, wait a minute flip it on its head, do it the other way around, where you had an audience, people were like, yes, I want to cre- you know, create this, please. What are some of the lessons during that process that you learned?
2: It wasn't as easy as you think for me. Like I did have this audience begging me, but mm-hmm. remember I wasn't used to selling things for very much money. And my audience yeah. is very strapped for cash. I, th- I feel like every entrepreneur says that, mm-hmm. but guys, these are elementary school teachers. They're barely making minimum wage. They don't have a lot of money to spend. And so yeah. I, d- I actually had a lot of self-doubt about whether or not they would pay for it. Mm-hmm. And I'd also done so much free training. and I do hear this a lot from people and I went through it. I've done so much free training. I was like, why would they buy me a course? I've already had so many free trainings, but why didn't they just listen to my free trainings? But the reality is no, the people who took my course liked that I took everything I had been writing and speaking about for the last two years. And I put it into this nice package for them Mm. and made it easy for them. But they also liked access to me in a Facebook group that I created for them for eight weeks. And they liked having access to me and getting to ask the questions they'd always wanted to ask. But I had a lot of self-doubt about the price and about whether people would buy, but I just figure, I will never know the answer until I give it a go. And I felt like whatever happens this launch, I'm going to learn something that's going to help me to serve my audience in the future, whether it's going to be to make the course better or what it, whatever it's going to be, I'm going to learn something to mm-hmm. serve my audience in the future. And it is because so many people quit that the people who keep going, that's why we're so much more successful. There are not that many professional development online courses yeah. for teachers. There's not yeah. a lot of competition because most people would quit. Yeah. So that's why it's easy to stand out when you're the one who's like, I'm going to get it done no matter what. I did have to get very strategic with time. And I had to take the whole list of things you have to do to build a course and really Mm -hmm. break it out into tiny pieces and say, this week, this is what I will do because I've got a newborn. And I had to be realistic with myself. I think that some people are like, I'm going to build a course in two weeks. Yeah. And if I had done that, i never would have been successful, but I got strategic and I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to do slide decks for seven modules this week. I'll do module one through three. Mm -hmm. And just, if I finish one through three, I celebrate, I'm done. But I think that was a big part of my success is just deciding on my own timeline. Six months was how long it was going to take me, even though other people going through the same course launched in like 10 weeks. That wasn't going to be my timeline.
1: How did you decide what content was going to go in there?
2: Oh, it was so hard. (laughs) (laughs) It really was. And I mean, we changed our mind really late in the process too. I was trying to think of everything that my audience had asked me through the years Mm -hmm. and all the trainings I had done. And I just started putting all of those topics on post-it notes. And I had so many, we had 11 modules in our first draft of our Mm -hmm. outline. Yeah. And my teammate at the time I had one said, there's no way a teacher is going to listen to 11 modules of videos. Like that's not, it's not a good idea. And we had to get, we had to get in there and start crossing them off. And even now we're redoing our course for 2020 and we're adding in a few lessons here or there. We're really learning about what content they need. I guess I think that I started with what I knew they'd been asking for, but now that I've launched the course live, I now know, what really confuses them or what language they don't understand and now i'm, I'm fixing that content still it's not yeah. like you do it once and it's over with and you're never going to come back to it you can always come back and fix it as you go but totally. i i was being really i let that part of the planning take forever because i thought i was gonna make one wrong decision and my course would would just bomb you know but I, that's wrong it, when i yeah. went to sell my course they didn't ask me like can you tell us every lesson that will be in there? They didn't ask that. They just wanted to know, will I be a better writing teacher when I'm done? And I'm like, yeah, you will. Okay. That's great,
1: yeah, that's a great lesson there. No pun intended. What's, <laughs> what are you doing differently this time around in 2020 since last year? And you, yesterday you showed me your entire launch, you know, your pre-launch strategy, your, your runway, which like just the way that you have it laid out is awesome. What's different this year in the second launch than the first launch last year?
2: So much more intentional, so much more. We are doing a pre-launch runway, which is eight weeks of content prior to our launch. Mm -hmm. That's all based on the objections that we heard during our last launch. So we listen, like, what were the reasons people were scared to buy? and we wrote them down and our team we identified five that came up pretty regularly and so we came up with content it will come out in the form of a blog post a podcast an email and even a facebook live each of those eight weeks that will address those concerns before the course is even available i'm not going to be talking about the course or pitching the course in that content yet but i'm going to take i'm going to alleviate that stress before the course even comes available and that is something huge we did not do last time. We just didn't have time. I mean, building the course was just yeah. so big that I didn't have time to think about that. So I think that's going to be the biggest change we're making. And honestly, another change that I think is going to be huge, I think we're going to end up raising our ads budget because, I mean, it only did amazing things last time. So yeah. why not? And we're going to have all these Facebook lives from the prelaunch runway. We're going to retarget all of those views. So we're going to have this really targeted audience to send ads to for the webinar, for the course. So I know we're going to see big returns on this. On top of that, we've added some lessons and we're making our bonuses more what they need. Now that we've heard from them, we're getting really, really good at picking the content they need.
1: Guys, I just want to point out a couple of things that Jamie said here. That's so important in making your next launch even bigger is that number one, she's listening to her past, the people in the launch, in her last launch. You know, what was the feedback? What were the objections that people were coming up with? What were people saying like, oh, I can't join this time or whatever it is. So number one, listening to your students, your audience, your, the people that are in your launch, who are following you, who are responding, et cetera, listening to that. And then using what they're saying. And I don't mean that in a negative way, nor does Jamie. It's like, using what they're saying as far as the objections go and overcoming those objections in your pre-launch content leading up to the launch. So it's like, you're overcoming those things, you're clearing the path, if you will, so that when you're ready to offer your program and have the webinar, what have you, they don't have those objections that those other people had, or maybe they had at one point, you're clearing that all all that up. And so it's such such a great lesson there. And the other thing too, is that, there's intention behind what Jamie and her team are doing in this launch. It wasn't perfect the last time, but it was like, all right, I'm going to get this up there. She did really well in the launch. You take what you learned from the last time. Each time you launch, you take your lessons and learnings and you improve upon them for the next time. And then you just keep moving. And it's like it snowballs, it snowballs from there. And, you know, and finally, obviously, Jamie and I had talked about this too, is like, all right, let's increase the ad spend. The ad spend was so successful last time as long as you know your numbers which Jamie and and Scott do in the business. Cool. You got you know your numbers? Use the numbers to dictate your ad spend. Game on. Let's increase the ad spend and get more people into the launch because the launch works. So
2: Yeah. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait because I think we're going to really increase our impact when yeah. we launch this course this year. We saw so many teachers who the course changed so much for them. They came back to us and they said I haven't loved teaching in years and you changed that for me. And that means a lot to me and to my team. And we want to make sure that if there's another teacher out there that can use our help, we need to find them. And so we're going to use Facebook ads to find them because we know that we can help them.
1: I love it. I love it. As we start to wrap up here, I want to circle back to what we started to talk about earlier. And that's just, you have a vision and goals for your business and your life, right? And your goal right now for 2020 is you don't wanna work more than 20 hours a week. And so, as you mentioned before, in adding in this side of the business where you're teaching entrepreneurs now, like you said, everything's be, you're being very intentional, right? And everything is running through that filter of, well, does this fit into what I want for the business? Because I, I wanna spend time with my family and my kids and all that stuff. What kind of changes have you made in order to get to that point, because you're doing really well in achieving that. We're only at the end of of January right now in in working 20 hours a week.
2: Yeah. I mean, I started at the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. I joined your mastermind and that's what I went in with. I said, I want to grow my impact and my revenue in my business, but I want to work less while I do that. And so the first thing I started doing was tracking my time. At first I was doing this to see what areas I was spending too much time on. And I realized it was a lot of the tedious things that you have to do to run a business, but it wasn't necessarily the things that like move your business forward. It's not the big revenue makers. It's not content creation. In fact, I was having trouble getting to my content creation because I was answering email, answering Facebook messages. I was creating graphics for my blog posts and social yeah. media. And so I've definitely gotten serious about hiring, found people to make graphics, found people to answer my email, I realized that you can hire out almost anything. I used to have the mentality of no one will be able to do it as well as me. It was just, it's just easier if I just do it, but that was holding me back and it was keeping me from spending as much time with my family as I would like. And it was keeping me from making the impact that I'd like to make. So I am much better now about hiring out tasks instead of doing them myself. Yeah. And that's helping me in 2020, but now I continue to track my time because it helps me to get very real with myself because I love my business and I could yeah. sit here on the computer for hours and hours and not even realize the time has passed. So I track yeah. my time because if you have to write down exactly what you're doing, then you stop doing some of that fluff that I would do like get stuck on social media. You stop doing that. You have to write it down. Now it's like in, it's an in ink. I don't even use an app on my phone because if I pick up my phone to use that app, I'll see notifications. So I don't even (laughs) use an app. I use like a pen and paper. It's really old school, but every day I track exactly what I do and how many minutes I spend on it. Yep. And that's really helping me. And then I'm just, I'm using my team better. I realized I had really capable people on my team, high level teammates, Mm. not just VAs. I have two teammates and I wasn't using them to the greatest potential. Yeah. And now I, now I have even more teammates, but I realized that I was just giving them a to-do list. And I would say things like, write up five Facebook posts for me. And they would do it, but I realized that they're they're capable so much more. So instead, I said to her, increase our Facebook group's engagement by this mm. much this percentage. Well now yeah. she has to figure out how to do that. And it's meant writing Facebook posts, but it's also meant she's getting in there and she's commenting more and she's getting writing different types of posts. And now she's figuring out how to remedy this problem. And she's more invested in it than she was when I told her just to write a few Facebook posts. And so I'm doing that with my whole team. And now they are really taking off and running parts of my business, which gives me so much space to think about content
1: and my course. That's, That's a big transition that you had and that we worked on is like, rather than giving tasks, it's like, okay, give ownership to people on the team. You know, tell them what you want. Tell them what what the project looks like or what success looks like, if you will. And then it's like, go for it. You know, I'm here to be a guide. You know, to answer questions, but like you're owning this, and you work together to come up with with goals and objectives and stuff. And it's like, boom, go for it. And I've seen it. They love. Yeah, like I've seen. Like I've just seen. I mean, and it's hard, right? Because we are control freaks and we can be control <laughs> freaks in our business, but you've seen the fruits already. And it's only getting better over the past couple months in just seeing what's possible here.
2: Yeah, they love my business too. I guess that's what I'm seeing. I used to think I was the only one that loved my business. And when you're just giving tasks, when you're just like, hey, schedule my pins. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to love that. But when you give them some kind of ownership and you're like increase the clicks to my website through Pinterest by this yeah. percentage, well now like, now they love it. Now it's a game to them too. And they want to see the numbers and they can't wait to update you and seeing my team get that kind of excitement it's refreshing to me i'm not the only one now loving on this business i have a team of people loving on this business It's a small team but we are doing some pretty dang big things and yeah it's only it's only into january but in january i the most i worked in a week was 19 hours and 45 minutes and one week i only worked 13 hours i'm really proud of that week i traveled that week and my team ran my whole business while i was gone i they didn't even need me. I asked if they wanted to talk to me and they didn't. Right,
1: Cause you were at, you were at the retreat and I, you remember you telling me, you're like, yeah, I texted the team and I never even heard back from them. They were like, whatever. We're yeah. good. Leave us yeah, be. Yeah. Leave us alone. We're good. We're good. I love it. I love it. Well, it's been so fun watching the evolution of the business. And I'm even more excited about what's ahead for you, not only this year, but just going forward in, in what you're doing. And I have zero doubt that the entrepreneurial side of the business, and you know, and building that aspect of of, of the business up, is going to be just as successful, if not more, than the teaching side. So, I'm honored to be part of you know to be a small part of of this with you and Scott. And I'm so glad to have you on here to to share your journey. And and I was thinking about when you know when I was going to have you on here, like what kind of aspect? Where do I want to take this interview here? And just like like you and I talked about, like. I do these interviews, I have no notes on a page, I might have like one bullet point. But it's like, I always like I said to you, it's like, we're sitting down for coffee and chatting. And I just felt like, you know, an overarching conversation about what you've done in the business and where you come from a hobby and where you are now, I think is so valuable. And you have touched on so many great lessons here. So thank you for being so open about sharing everything. And yeah, so where can people connect with you? both on the teaching side and on the entrepreneurial side. You mentioned the podcast, so mention the podcasts again and then mention all the channels that you want people to connect with you on.
2: All right. For entrepreneurs, the brand new podcast is the Not So Wimpy Entrepreneur and I'm on Instagram as well, Not So Wimpy Entrepreneur. And for teachers, it's the so com, and Not So Wimpy Teacher on Facebook and Instagram.
1: I love it. I love it. Jamie, thank you so much again for coming on. I super appreciate it.
2: Thank
1: you. Hey, my friend, don't forget to watch Brandon Lucero's free video series that is out right now. It's called The Content Revolution, and it goes in depth into how to finally start creating engaging content with unique messaging that creates demand in your business and for your business. It builds profitable connection with your audience and really forces you to stand out in this crowded online space that we all work in, right? And... The reason for that is because he teaches you how to stand out because you stand for something in your business. I have watched the video series. It's epic. Brandon's been a guest here on the show the past few weeks. Cannot recommend that you register and check out this video series enough. And you can do that at rickmulready.com forward slash four X, the number four, the letter X, rickmulready.com forward slash four X. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Jamie. I super appreciate it. I'll see you right back here for the next episode here on the art of online business podcast.
0: Do you want to avoid the seven biggest mistakes that burn through course creators ad money? I see these over and over and over again, and I put them together in a mini email series. This is not fluff. Each of the seven mistakes, I also have a recorded video tutorial showing you inside of Facebook Ad Manager how to fix those mistakes. This is good, solid, and it will save you money or help you make more money with your Facebook ads. Click down in the show notes below, you'll see the link, and you can go download it right now for free.